Today's episode of the Degenerate Business School is brought to you by Global Cargo Shipping, delivering iPads from China to Long Beach since the early 2000s, and Fossil Fuels, delivering everything to every place since a long time ago. Roberta. Gregorius. Roberta Nunez. Things are good. Things are good. Because resources are scarce and prices are going up. It's the name of the game. That's why we're here. Uh, what a, how was your week? How was your week at work? Strong? Quite strong? Quite, quite strong. I had a good week. I got a good weekend ahead of me. We got a yeah. good podcast ahead of us. We're going to Vegas. Yeah. Las Vegas. That's right. Uh, before we get into the businesses this week, I'd like to I'd like to share a little action with the people that we're considering this weekend. So, Super Bowl odds. We were looking at them this week. AFC is pretty ho hum. Right. New England plus seven hundred, obviously, at the top of the charts. Uh, Chiefs plus eight hundred. Colts plus a thousand. So, eh, there's not a lot of interesting inefficiency in the AFC Super Bowl odds. Fair. But here's what I love. Or here's what I hate. Here's what I hate. Rams plus 700 equal the Patriots is an abomination. Number one, Ty Gurley has arthritis in his knee. Number two, Jared Goff is Jared Goff, like we always thought. We always knew that Jared Goff was just a paper tiger, and Bill Belichick proved it. I wouldn't be surprised if the Rams finish 8-8 eight and eight this year. So here's what I love, Robert. Seattle, plus 4,000 to win the bowl. And the Eagles, plus 2,000 in the NFC. Love, love the inefficiency in the NFC Super Bowl odds right now. Yeah, I, I would agree. Obviously not with your picks, because <laughs> the Eagles are going, you know... Six and ten. But Even with the Cowboys, which is just nonsense. No, no, no. Look, and the Vikings? Look, Come on! I am a Cowboys fan, but I am not an idiot. I'm not... Look, I will put money on them, but... Uh, no, my my pick is the Falcons plus 3,000. I feel like the Falcons... I don't hate it. Might take know, a flyer on it. I feel like the Falcons were on the losing side of a lot of coin flips, and they were decimated by injuries. Definitely put money on Falcons plus 3,000. Contrary, I'm, I'm, contrary to you, I, I love... I'm going to put money on the Falcons for the division 100%. Yeah. 100%. I actually love that the Rams are plus 700 because it gives us all this inefficiency to take advantage of. Oh, I love it too. This early on in the game? Yeah. Loving every minute of it. But that's not why our now 24 consistent listeners have tuned in today, is it, Berta? It's not. But, but I just I just want to pause and reflect. Please. Uh... We're going to Las Vegas this weekend. We're so dedicated to this emergent podcast that we're not leaving tonight. No, 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 no. Like a normal person. We're leaving Saturday at noon like old people. For just the, so for we the can do this podcast. of recording this podcast. Yeah. We should just like not at all tell people that the reason we're going is to see Celine Dion. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was... Uh... We're actually not going to gamble. 
We're just no. gonna go see Celine. We, we we go watch the show. We catch our flight back. We'll be home in time for bed on <laughs> Saturday night. <laughs> One and done. All right. Another slow to moderately slow business news week this week. And we're actually going to spend a little more time on macroeconomics corner, but this macroeconomics corner is a special edition this week because the macroeconomic pulse of this whole conversation is so pervasive and so explosive that it's going to have implications to investors everywhere. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like this could easily be a multi-episode series. series. Deep dive. We're about to break this bitch wide open. That's right. All right. But all right, let's let's do. We're gonna flip the order this week. We're gonna start with the business news because it's feeble to quite feeble. A uh, couple things we want to highlight. We've talked a little bit about it before. I'm long on Facebook because it's a it's a cynical data surveillance business model. And this week's news about Facebook was the apotheosis of Zuckerberg as a dirtbag who will steal your data at any cost and lie to your face about it. So Facebook says, uh, we care about your privacy. We're going to invest in a private messaging platform. But I think you and I, and generally the business community, are all seeing through this. This is just yet another channel of personalized information that Facebook can now collect and monetize. As an investor, I love it. As a human, I hate it. Yes. I can see why you think that, but what about the last 10 years hasn't been exactly this all part and parcel of the same same narrative it's all the same thing we've all known for the last decade at least that what they're doing is shady but again you open up your ig and you completely forget about it because i guess most people aren't aware that it's the same company in fact like you know what facebook needs to do more of they need to keep diversifying into other platforms that aren't facebook so that people forget that it's actually owned, operated, and harvested by Facebook. Instagram is the most genius form of this. Absolutely. No one knows that they're owned by Facebook. The most he- the heaviest users of IG have no idea it's owned by Facebook. Or if they do, you always have to remind them. But uh, To be honest, I don't think they care. No, they don't. They just want you to like their pizza picture. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's also let's, let's leave that for now. A bit of a check-in. On our friends at Tesla. Hot break. Hot break. 15 minutes ago. Hot break coming into the podcast. What's going on with Tesla's distribution strategy, Robert? Tell us. Well, it's on pause because somebody realized it was incredibly stupid and it it took them all of a week, I think. Um, (laughs) Yeah, in in the last few minutes, I got a notification that they're stopping the store closures and... uh, Complete 180. Complete 180. They're stopping the layoffs. And it makes complete sense because, like, everything that's happened with Tesla in the last two weeks has been absurd. It just, uh, you know, it makes me sad that you and I don't run a hedge fund because we would have shorted Tesla so long ago. And they just don't let us because we're Mickey Mouse investors. (laughs) Well, actually, um, on the things that they don't let us do... Something else we weren't able to do this week because yeah. we have Merrill Edge accounts. Oh, uh, yeah. We'll get to that. We'll get to we'll that. We'll get to that. But... It's like, God damn you, Merrill Edge. <laughs> Your 30 free trades, they, they really put the talons in me. <laughs> but you are you are so restrictive. 
okay. We did take a hiatus from this last week, and we didn't tell anyone we did, but there was really no worthy candidate. But coming back this week after after a brief hiatus, the degenerate champion of the week, I think a clear front runner. It looked like early in the week, uh, Gone, Carlos Gone, is it Carlos Gone? The guy from Nissan who's just been like in and out of Japanese prison in strange maintenance worker clothes. Looked like maybe he was an outside candidate, but then... We, we had a ringer come in at the last, our friend, Martin Screlly. I wouldn't say potentially a degenerate so much as just a villain uh, and someone who has preyed on the scarce resource of HIV medication. Correct. Famously. Correct. Uh, revealed this week that he was actually working from home in prison, so working from prison with a contraband cell phone. Uh I actually, uh, I think we kind of admire this on the part of Screlly. Absolutely. He's hustling for the dollar. He's got seven years with nothing to do. I think, I think it's rather admirable that he's really, truly dedicated to his venture. I guess this doesn't make him necessarily a degenerate, just a villain with a great work ethic. (laughs) 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 All right, let's pivot to the meaty topic this week. But still, we're still in the appetizer section, so we're in macroeconomics corner. But an important update on the macro macroeconomic bellwether. So, uh, hiring growth in February turns out stalled big time. So uh, net hiring was only up twenty thousand, and this is against in the last four years. There have been like a few blips like this, where there's only like marginal job gains. Uh, so after we were just like talking about how unsustainable all of this job growth was, I mean, we said because of the robots, (laughs) so I'm not saying we got the why right, but, uh, a strong like shading and cooling down of the, the hot ass jobs report from last week. So, uh, I'd like to say that we're geniuses. We see the future. I'd like to agree. At Um, least profits. In the biblical sense. (laughs) I'd like to agree, but uh, until somebody outside of this room tells us that... Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, Well, no one outside this room is going to tell you you could be a Fed chairman and an NFL quarterback simultaneously. Fuck it. I'll start (laughs) calling myself a genius. (laughs) I'm in. All right. I guess uh, what I'll ask you before we get to the main topic this week, does this... uh, because we know a recession's coming. We and do. I'm burying the lead a little bit, but not for this reason. I would chalk this up to a blip in an otherwise kind of like strong moving average over the last four years. Don't think this in isolation probably is the beginning of the end, but I do know the apocalypse is coming for a different reason. Jobs report by itself, though, doesn't give you any pause, does it? No, no. Um... I feel like the data points that have come in recently have been full of, I don't know, outliers um, in different areas. So last week there was a, I want to say the production numbers or or export numbers were really bad. And these have all been outliers. But to be honest, as far as what's going to lead to the next Great Recession, no, this is all... All... It's it's all noise, not signal. Absolutely. Like say. Well, now let's let's move to the big picture this week. Uh, crude oil. Crude oil. 
crude oil is the, t- the topic we want to talk about this week. Um, piggybacking off of a pretty, pretty illustrative CNBC article that you and I examined in great detail this week. But ultimately, when we zoom out on all of this, we'll have massive implications for the broader economy. The global economy, too, not just the domestic economy. So, because of a law, an international treatise, if you will, that was passed 10 years ago, that has long since been forgotten, on January, 20, on January 1st, 2020, the International Maritime Organization, which you might ask, what is the International Maritime Organization? It is the arm of the United Nations that essentially polices global shipping, right? It sounds like a piece of obscura, but on January 1st, a new mandate goes into effect, whereby these giant cargo ships that traverse the world up and down and deliver iPads from China to the United States and chicken parts from the United States to China (laughs) will no longer be able to use the literal bottom of the barrel, the sulfur sludge of the crude oil barrel, to transport goods cheaply from nation to nation across the vast oceans of the world. Robert, tell me in the near term, what do they have to transition to if they actually just want to operate their ships and what it could mean for crude oil prices? Break it down. Well, to your point, they're using the literal bottom of the barrel because it's high in sulfur. So most shipping vessels have two options. You either install a scrubber that is going to reduce the emissions and basically lead to a cleaner source of fuel, which costs millions of dollars to do for any company, or you simply move to a cleaner, less sulfur-rich fuel, which is in direct competition with... The good fuel. The good fuel. So that's the fuel that goes into your car, that goes into trains, that goes into airplanes, that goes into literally anything. So it drives demand for everyday fuel substantially higher. The middle of the barrel. The middle of the barrel. And it also drives up innovation because at some point we need to move to something cleaner. Well, let's pause for a second. Let's let's talk about the state of innovation in global shipping, shall we? Let's do it. It's bad. And I'll tell you why. Because I read an article about what are the potential replacements beyond just like transitioning to the middle of the barrel and driving up global demand considerably. One of the ideas that is out there. Let me preface (laughs) this. This is a reputable uh, source here. Uh, Yeah, it's a reputable source. I won't name it because I can't remember, but it's reputable. (laughs) One of the ideas... For how you actually, because this is really important, since time immemorial, global bulk shipping, or even not global, but like maritime shipping in like bulk junks going back to ancient times, or these newfangled sludge cargo ships, it's by far the cheapest way to move a lot of material from place to place. And essentially this whole business model is this sludge, right, which is immensely cheap by global fossil fuel standards. This is one of the ideas for how you innovate your way out of it. A giant fucking parasail. (laughs) A parasail, Robert. You put a parasail on top of a tanker coming out of Long Beach, and you take that from Long Beach to fucking Fujian, China. That's an idea. That's an idea. 
So what are, what are we really saying? This innovation lane does not exist. It does not exist. They've, <laughs> these companies have had 10 years, 10 years to innovate their way out of this. And the best they could do was a, it's a classic case of kick the can, or in this case, kick the barrel. Yeah. So now, sorry, sorry as the state of innovation is, mm-hmm. what does this mean? Global demand is going to skyrocket in 2020. Correct. For the middle of the barrel, yes. Yeah, middle of the barrel. It's going to not only drive up prices, classic demand curve, but probably vastly deplete, more rapidly deplete the global supply of oil over time. Correct. Now, Robert. Yes. Theorize for me. Why will this sunder the global economy? Oof. Well, let's begin with, as I mentioned earlier, the oil that's now in higher demand is what goes into your car, what goes into shipping trucks, what goes into airplanes. So it's going to drive up the price of all of these things. It's going to drive up the price of plane tickets, your groceries, your gas bill, everything. Mm-hmm. So inflation goes up. Runaway. Runaway inflation. Um, we all know that the Fed has a dual mandate of keeping full employment and low inflation. Full employment, we're already there. So when inflation finally begins to hit, Jerome Powell will have no choice but to raise interest rates. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a saying in finance that says bull markets don't die of old age. Mm-hmm. They get taken out back and shot. <laughs> so what happens when, when inflation goes rampant? Jerome Jerome Powell takes the economy out back and Jerry. puts it out of its misery. <laughs> so, to me, it's pretty obvious that a... A double whammy is afoot. Absolutely. Uh, to say nothing of the fact that... So, for anyone that doesn't understand, and honestly, like, you really have to, like, take a step back and think about it. The whole world is in oil, right? Everything. Everything is in oil or is underpinned by oil or is underpinned by the capabilities that oil gives you. It's, it's, it's easy to forget that fossil fuels are merely a geologic anomaly that happened thousands of years ago. And out of that fossilized sludge, the entire, in the entire 20th and 21st century economic engine is built on a pillar of dinosaur gloop. And that dinosaur gloop is scarce. So let's, let's, quickly get to the bottom line of all of this besides the apocalyptic implications which is this it's a simple principle go long on oil because demand and supply are going to converge faster than anyone thinks this is a step change but obviously like the uncertainty around exploration and what is the actual finiteness of the resource nobody knows knows and are complete unknowns so how do you go long on oil? Well, if you own a Merrill Edge account, you can't go long on the fucking USO ETF, which was our play that we were going to recommend this week. It all fell apart when we both got cock-blocked trying to buy it. So, yeah, I mean, if our <laughs> listeners have, you know, respectable, uh, or maybe not respectable, but degenerate <laughs> brokerage accounts. I'm thinking probably if you're at Scott Trade, they might let you do this. USO is basically the West Texas uh, Sweet Oil Futures ETF. It's a good way to get beta from this whole thing. 
So if demand is going up, supply is going down, you're going to win. What we're doing is like the missionary position, (laughs) which is just buying ExxonMobil, the most successful, potentially villainous company of all time. But I'm happy to be a villain in this post-apocalypse road warrior situation we're going to find ourselves in pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, it's not, not the preferred way of going about it, but it'll do. They touch on every aspect of... The supply chain for oil, so I think uh, one way or another, yeah, we get the exposure we need. Yeah, I mean, what are your other options as a practical matter? British Petroleum, Royal Dutch Shell. I I just want to go American. Sure, sure. You know, ultimately, here's the other thing. Going back to your uh, catastrophic macroeconomic picture of the recession that you're painting in the short term. So not only is there is there a domestic consideration, but what happens to global trade when you potentially, right, you might have a near-term fuel solution, but if that fuel cost becomes more expensive and you can't actually rely on this uh, constant low-grade supply of sludge that only cargo shipping uses, does it also slow down global trade, thereby compounding the compounding effect of the domestic recession that you outlined? Uh, in the intermediate term, yes. Um, so go short on America and the world. Yes. <laughs> if you me, can. It's, basically, it, I probably will. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, th- there's definitely a recession coming, and this, this definitely isn't helping. Now, in the longer term, the hope, and I mean, it really is nothing more than a hope, is that economic, I mean, sorry, uh, technological innovation will develop an alternative to that but they've had 10 years to do it and all they've got is sales well let me let me let's let's zoom out even more so we painted a picture of (laughs) there are two potential outcomes out of all of this right uh on the one hand is mad max fury road where we live in a post-apocalypse where everyone's just driving around in tribes Find a find, trying to find the last barrels of oil because it's actually the only way to conduct society. Or, if you want to be optimistic, uh, we innovate our way out of the problem. It might take radical innovation or incremental innovation, but you get back on a sustainable glide path. Which view do you subscribe to? Well, I don't think they're necessarily mutually exclusive. I think you could you have Fury Road, but then there's like a couple of guys in Fury Road who figure out solar panels. I mean, look, <laughs> look, I mean, Fury Road doesn't seem terribly pleasant. So eventually someone's going to be like, I, I just can't do this. Like, I know if you put me in Fury Road, I'm either dying or I'm developing a solar panel. But I'm not I'm not living by that standard of life. It's just not for me. If Fury Road happens, you step on your glasses and you're done. <laughs> So, no, I think in the in the short to intermediate term, yes, the economy is going to go through some growing pains. Um, in the long term, I think innovation definitely helps. The problem is that uh, innovation is inherently uh, disinflationary. So, I mean, it opens up a whole can of worms with the Fed and, and whatnot. But in any case, uh, short term, go long oil, go short everything else. Go short on America. Well, I would say even if if there's a wide spectrum in your belief system 
about how catastrophic the environmental risks are. And again, the whole world is in oil. It's all about fossil fuels and how finite the resource is and what the actual time curves are to innovate your way out of it. Either way, no matter where you are on that spectrum, if you think you can innovate your way out of it without a global catastrophe, or you think it's Mad Max Fury Road, there will come a point in the intermediate future where ExxonMobil is raking it in, and it's either before innovation catches up with this still 20th century energy solution, which is fossil fuels, or it's before all of civilized society collapses and we're just fighting each other for sandwiches on the road. (laughs) (laughs) Of fury. Of fury. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I I think it's, I think it's simple enough. Uh, We're going long ExxonMobil. Yeah. uh, By the way, that's the, uh, the conclusion here. Yeah. Or if you can, USO would be nice. Would be nice, yeah. But let's be clear. I don't think you should expect anything material until this mandate, which comes into place in 2020. Right. And for anyone wondering what the actual enforcement mechanism is, we know a couple <laughs> of things. Okay? If you're not within standard and you're discovered on the vastness of the Pacific Ocean, you will be decommissioned. Correct? Your ship gets towed. Your ship gets towed. <laughs> Who are these police boats, you might ask? Well, the only thing we could figure out is the IMO maybe has some enforcement resources. We're not exactly sure. Probably the U.S. Navy is contributing to it in some way. We'll get back to you on that. (laughs) Because there's an alternative to this. And if we're wrong, which is global shipping just ignores the mandate (laughs) and it's like, the Pacific Ocean is the biggest thing that ever existed and we're going to keep riding on sludge and you'll never catch us. Very possible. Very possible. All right. Quick update. I think that's basically our conjoined stock pick of the week. Quick update on your current portfolio. So 1-0 is in the books on P&G. P&G, done and dusted. You nailed it. Final report card, or did you already give us that last week? I I gave you that last week, yes. On the remaining picks, you're sitting at 2-1, with a strong bear case on EEM, but again, the record's not over until you get out of the position. So That's right. how are we trending on the remaining three? So it was a bad week for the market in general. I think we've been down every day this week, um, but we've held up pretty okay. Cisco, since recommending it, is still up 8.2% versus the S&P up 1.6%. Uh, the options are up 375 mm-hmm. so still a win there. Strong, quite strong. Uh, Aurora Cannabis, 11.4% for the stock. Uh, the S&P down 1.2. And the option, 29.5. EEM, uh, the one black eye I have so far. Uh, the ETF itself is down 3.2 versus the S&P down 1.8. And the option's down 16. Now, it's not uncommon for me to be, you know up and down a lot in in these options plays. What's troubling about this one... <laughs> no, there's something really, really troubling about this one. Uh-huh. Part of, part of the case for it was that Jerry was essentially <laughs> suggesting that we were going to weaken the dollar, which um, supports... Exporters. Correct. Yeah. Um, well... Uh, this week, Mario Draghi comes out and says, hey, we're weakening 
the Euro. The Euro, which did not bode well for this position. By the way, Mario Draghi. Yeah. I know he's the ECB chief, but I mean, he sounds like a Game of Thrones character. <laughs> it's a phenomenal name. The Chancellor of the Iron Bank of Bravos said <laughs> he wants to increase exports from Bravos. Yeah, so that announcement from Mario Draghi was not was not good for this position. I might consider taking an L on this one, um, but I haven't yet. Uh, I think I think you should stay in it and then fail spectacularly. I think that would be fun for all of us to watch. Well, technically, this option doesn't expire for close to two years. How much is the waiting for the Eurozone in the EEM? I should probably know that. You would think it wouldn't be that big, though. Well, I should probably know that, <laughs> but then again, this wouldn't be this wouldn't be a degenerate stock pick <laughs> if I knew what I was talking about. Now would it? That's right. <laughs> All right, buddy. Uh, listen, I'm still, I still believe. Thank you. All right. As always, you're welcome, America. America.